0: It's good to see everyone this morning. All the happy, smiling faces, and uh, experiencing and rejoicing in the joy, the peace, the love of the Lord. Amen. As we as we worship and fellowship together. Um, several months ago, um, I there was I had mentioned there was we, we we had there are these one another's throughout Scripture. This this phrase one another in the New Testament, in particular and and I shared a message in Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 to 15 and my focus was on verses 13 and 14 and today we'll focus on 14 and 15 but it says it's all about serving one another. Paul is is encouraging and he's reminding God's people to serve one another. And that whole phrase of one another is such a powerful phrase. And in and, and upcoming months, weeks, whenever the Lord leads, as we cover many other one another's, you will, you will see that it's a picture of, of the Godhead and the relationship is there that there's... there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they submit to one another. They love one another. They're they're in perfect harmony. And Jesus modeled for us while He lived on this earth all these one anothers. Actually, you'll see as we go through, uh, and, and and the Holy Spirit will will, show, will put it in your, He'll he'll reveal it to you and he'll show you. I know he will if you know the Word of God and as you read the Word of God. Amen. Serve one another in Galatians 5.13. Freedom does not equal an excuse for selfishness. And we had talked about that a few months ago, and that was something that we need a reminder of, and I need a reminder of, that freedom allows us to serve God and one another. When I mean freedom, I don't mean constitutional freedom. All right? And by the way, I'll take my liberty. I'll take my freedom. Be careful as followers of God that you do not replace the U.S. Constitution with all your liberties and rights with the rights that you have in this Constitution. A lot of basis in our Constitution for what's here. Don't go there. Don't use that as something that allows you to live whatever you want, how you want, to be rebellious, to be whatever. Don't, you don't, Paul warns even Christians who have freedom in Christ, you don't have that either. You have freedom, but you can't do whatever you want. You can't not touch me. You can't tell me. No, there is responsibility and accountability with freedom. Absolutely, positively, whether it's constitutional or whether it's God's governing word, the Bible. There is a freedom that he has given us because Christ the word came and died for us and he freed us to serve God and one another. Never do we have freedom to serve ourselves. Not in the Bible. Show me. Tell me. Prove it to me. We don't have freedom to serve ourselves. It's hard to say amen to that, isn't it? And you're wondering if I'm actually accurate. Look it up. You cannot, you are not free to serve yourself, not biblically. You are free to serve God and others. Period. Period. Right? So, we fight, we fight off reasons, right, to, to serve. And we, and we have these excuses and we, we have these fighting, I even say, in our, in our, inside of us, reasons for putting off service in general to God and to others. And, and there are things like it's too difficult or inconvenient for me to serve someone in a certain time or situation. You know, it's difficult, it's hard, it's inconvenient. And it's going to take things off my schedule. It's going to cost me money, it's going to cost... Are you going to serve or not? Am I going to serve or not? I'm talking to me too. We can say things like, I'll do it later. We kick the can down the road. Guess what? Somebody else will serve them. Maybe you weren't intended to serve them. I don't know. But if you know that you should serve and you don't, ah, I'll do it later. Careful. Or you can say, I'm just too busy. That sounds like a lot of what goes on in our world today. I'm too busy. We're so busy, 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 right? And those are excuses that we can make to not serve one another, and first, of course, serving God, and then one another. But thank God, thank God, I am so thankful to God that Jesus didn't say or use any of those excuses to God the Father when he was sent as God's plan for our salvation and freedom. Can you imagine? I'm too busy. I'm too busy enjoying the glory of all the angels that you created to worship you and being in your presence, God. How about if I'll do it later? Because I'm busy enjoying it. I'll do it later. I'll put it off. I know it's your time right now, God, but I'll put it off. Right? And I'm not going to have a theological and philosophical discussion about whether Jesus could do that or not. He obeyed, right? And he didn't wait. He served. He came to serve. Not to be served, he said in Mark chapter 10. Jesus came to do that. And thank God that he didn't say, well, God, it's going to be too difficult, God, my Father. Where would you be today? Where would I be today if he used those excuses? Praise God that he didn't use those lines to get out of serving us to the point that he gave his life for you and for me. Let's go back to Galatians 5. As I mentioned, we're there. But in Galatians 5, if you have your Bibles, some of you are probably already there. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes these words. And I'll start with verse 13 again, as I mentioned earlier. <clears throat> Follow along with here. I'm reading from the New American Standard. But Paul says, "...for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But," and he contrasts it, "...but through love serve one another." For the whole law, in verse 14, is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Now here's where we're going to talk about today a little bit and get a little, little, let's look into our hearts, brothers and sisters. Right? You find in this verse, this positive, right? Right? There's this command that you should serve one another. And you find this expression 58 times or so in the New Testament. But in this passage, these three verses, you find it twice, I'll call it in a negative sense. And it's not a command. You know what it's more? It's a caution. It's a caution. It's a caution. Watch out. Be careful. It's a road sign saying, listen, you serve one another, but don't do it for the flesh. Do it to serve one another out of love, right? Because if you bite and devour one another, take care unless you be consumed by one another. There is something here that Paul is addressing, and it's, it's not a pleasant thing. But there is such a thing that is called spiritual cannibalism. Wait, Pastor Bob, how are you going there? We just sing these great songs, talking about Jesus. There's a thing called spiritual cannibalism. We can devour and chew each other up and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit okay but here's another again that one another command the context that paul is writing in in all of galatians right the freedom that christ gave the context the big picture and a big word in this context is the word legalism right legalism i'm not talking about holiness i'm not talking about living right and and proper ethics as a christian that demonstrate the holiness of god i'm not talking about that i'm talking about legalism actual legalism which is simply this right it's not a biblical term you will not find legalism in the bible but it's a term that we have used and in christian history we use to describe this system of rules to earn salvation and spiritual growth i'm paraphrasing you can find a million paraphrases you can find other um uh, definitions and descriptions but this is how i'll describe it in a very in a nutshell very simple as i just told you and you know what it's opposed, it stands opposed to grace, legalism. It opposes grace. It fights it, it tries to push it back all the time. Paul writes, and here's what the Bible says, Paul writes the Colossians in chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, and he said these words, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why? As though you still belong to it, Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Listen, behavior modification is not the same and not necessarily heart transformation. Not at all. You can do all the things that are right and your heart could be as rotten to the core as possible. It could be dead, in fact, and you could do everything right on the outside. Perhaps you've been there. It all looks on the outside, but on the inside, you're you're suffering. You're not alive. There's no joy. There's no peace. Because you're returning back to these rules and regulations. And you're you're suffering yourself, if I could put it that way by that. A transformed heart. I have to add this. But a transformed heart, maybe more specific as Paul uh, describes it, in, the, in the, his epistle and especially in titus he says the regeneration of the heart there's regeneration we are made new creations right we're new people when there's a transformed heart there will always be modified behavior thank you bonnie there will always be modified behavior but um just because you modify behavior doesn't mean your heart has always changed but if your heart truly has changed there will be a modification to be. I just want to be clear about that. hope it's not confusing, but don't, don't use that. Don't, be careful with that. Jesus freed. Paul is writing, and he spends the entire epistle, and especially the early chapters through chapter 3 and 4. Jesus freed believers from the Mosaic Law and all its regulations and everything it demanded. And in chapter 3, he says, it pointed to the fact that the law, all it did was point to the fact that you could never keep it. It's a teacher that tells you, you're a sinner that's all it is that's what god used it for that was its purpose in the in the end and paul writes in ephesians chapter two verses eight to nine and many of us are familiar with this some of our favorite passages that salvation was by grace through faith apart from works period what amazing news that is right it's amazing news. It's incredible news. And when Paul is writing to the Galatians, and they've been taught this, and they know this in their mind, but somehow their heart and their emotions and their connection to history gets in the way, and they can't get over it. And they wonder, and they fall back into doing certain behaviors so that they can feel like their heart is right. And Paul says, Whoa, 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 whoa. That's all dead and gone because of what Jesus did, and who Jesus is, and what he accomplished on the cross. Because if, if, it, if it's not gone, you're in big trouble because you'll never keep the whole law. You'll never, you'll never be able to do that. Listen, even if the Galatians believed that message once, that salvation was by grace through faith apart from works, that alone, that's it, and Jesus did it all, it was hard to keep on believing it. And again, especially for the Jews, as I mentioned earlier, because they have a history of all these laws, and they had the law, and they were God's people, and their ritual, and their ceremonies they spent centuries living under that and they're even persecuted for that and so in their mind it would be like was it all a waste really thousands of years of like this and then we have to just give it up and we're free in christ and the law is gone and we're not bound by that were they really free from the law are you really free from the law you know what that's one of the things that it seems too good to be true That's the the power, the beauty of the gospel, right? And yet, that's the stumbling block, in a sense, for a lot of people. There's no way. There's no way that Jesus did it all, and I'm saved just by grace. I don't have to do anything but believe and surrender my life to him and accept his lordship and his saviorship in my life, and and I'm on the way. And it really is. I I can't do anything to to get more of it or to, to, to make it happen or to wash away my sins or to have a clean conscience. Jesus did it all by grace through faith. It's hard, because you want to earn things. You want to pay a price for it. Do you remember Jesus paid the price for it? He paid the price for our freedom, right? And legalists from Judea, when Paul was writing to the Galatians, were all too ready to tell these Christians that it was too good to be true. There's no way. We have history. We have our conscience. We have the law. We, you can't just throw that out. We've got to hang on to that. And they wanted to keep introducing that. In Acts chapter 15, just as a reference, I won't read it all, but it happened in Antioch, right? It happened there. They're having a discussion. They're having a a conversation about, well, what should we teach these Gentiles and new believers? What do we keep? And then they narrowed it down. After the Holy Spirit and the the leaders of the church got together, they narrowed it down to just a few items. You can check it out for yourself in Acts 15. It wasn't about the six billion laws and ideas of what righteousness was from the Old Testament. Some of them were prescribed by God, I understand that. But it was freedom that was coming, and there was a demonstration of freedom, even in what the apostles expected early believers to live by and how they ought to live in the early church. And then Peter, in Galatians chapter 2, earlier in chapter 2, in verses 11 through 16, Peter became confused by this freedom. Frankly, if I could put words there, But he became kind of confused, and and he had to be corrected by Paul about these matters. And Paul scolded him loudly to his face. What are you doing putting people back into bondage? What about the freedom of Christ? I'm sure there were other matters as well. We don't know the extent of them, but in the context of Galatians, certainly the Judaizers, legalisms, and the freedom they had were on the table and and in discussion. And now in in Galatia, it was happening among the churches there in that whole province, that region. They're all struggling because in Galatians 1, chapter verse 6, it says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ in verse 7. It's a gospel of freedom. And then there were those that were trying to make it a gospel of frankly, of bondage. Paul's like, blown away. And then you're free. And then now you want to go back in and and be bound up? How could that be? And so it's happened. It's here. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, it was in our chapter that we're in this morning, he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, think about that statement. Let me just say that again. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Some of you, some of us in our, and I'll go there too some of us, we, we distort that in our own minds, and we can blame our past, or whatever it is, our experiences or our mood, whatever you want it, doesn't matter. It doesn't make it right. But we, we say, it was for freedom that Christ has set me, and you fill in the blank with whatever it is. That's not free. That I could be a law abider and keep all the law perfectly. That I could, and I'm a legalist, that, you, or I, that I, can, I can beat myself up and earn myself to, into heaven. You know, I know I'm a Christian, but if I, if I just get into asceticism and I, I torture myself, I'll pay the price for that sin I committed last week. No, you just have to do First 1 John 1, nine. Confess your sins and he's faithful and just to cleanse you on the spot right there you have to beat yourself with a whip for three hours until you're bleeding right or and we do that emotionally psychologically in our mind and we we let these things the enemy come into our mind and it was for freedom that christ set you free you're free so you can have freedom you have freedom because you are free in christ and he says, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The slavery of the law and legalism and keeping all the regulations and demands of the law. See, legalism, it's kind of like when it has a domino effect when you start living that way. And, and Paul explained, if you want to be circumcised, right? And he talks about that earlier. It's, it, wanting to be circumcised meant trying to be justified by the law. That I'll be right with God because... I did what the Jewish people do. The Judaizers expect that I'm circumcised. And and what that means is, it means you're falling. You're coming way down from that amazing place of grace. Back down to the law. That's Galatians 5.4. If anyone wanted to fulfill the law... He should focus on loving and serving one another, not on circumcision. And that's what verse 6 and verse 12 tell us in, in, our, in our text in chapter 5 of Galatians. And then that's when Paul warned against biting and devouring one another. Biting one another and devouring one another. Spiritual cannibalism. It's ugly. Proverbs 30, verse 14. I wrote it down and my writing is chicken scratch. So now I have to go to it so I don't misquote. I don't want to misquote the word of God. Proverbs 30, verse 14. It says, There is a kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. Other translations say there's a generation, but it means there's a type of man. It's, it's, a, it's a people kind, if you will. And there's, there's a few listed in chapter 30. But there's another, he says, there's another kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaw teeth like knives. There's a generation. There's a type, and we live in a time where tongues, teeth are daggers, spears, knives, missiles, bombs, whatever you want to call it. That's the kind of time we live in now. It's always been true among humanity. But boy, is it around us so much. I'm not, I'm not here to be negative. I'm here to be real, okay? And it happens among Christians. It happens among the world. It's in the world, but it happens among Christians all the time. And it shouldn't be. And Paul says, stop it, cut it out. And he wasn't saying that it was rampant. He's only saying, be careful. It's a cautionary thing. There may have been pockets of it. Don't let it spread to the point that you bite each other so much that you devour each other and then nothing's left nothing's left let me ask you a question maybe some of you have have you ever heard of the cookie cutter shark you know i know gage has you love science and all that he does i'm sure he knows right ever heard of the cookie cutter shark gage see there's a few hands up right it is not the most pleasant looking shark okay it's not But what it does is it has this crazy mouth, and it's not not even big. It's not even a large shark. But in its mouth, it it, it sucks onto its prey. It latches on, and it it sucks. But then its mouth, if you look at its mouth, the teeth are tiny, and they are razor sharp. And there's a bunch of them. And it gets on. It sucks onto the side of another fish or its prey another animal in the the water. And it, it twists, and it cuts out a hole in its flesh. It's nasty sounding, isn't it? That's what spiritual cannibalism is like, too. Right? There was a picture, and the reason that I'm bringing this up, because it sparked me as I was preparing for this, and I I saw just the other week, it was when we were in Ohio, and I, I happened to come across a story, that in July, and this happens all the time, there was a picture of fishermen who were fishing, they pulled in a swordfish, and the swordfish had like 30 cookie cutter shark bites on it, all gouged out, and they knew that it was fresh, because when they pulled it out of the water, it was oozing. Yeah, that's gross. It's yucky. It's disgusting. And the life of that swordfish would not be long if they kept it up and if it was still in the water because there's probably multiple of them that were cookie-cutting its flesh out a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and just consuming that thing, right? Did you also know, by the way, I like uh, Shark Week on National Geographic, <laughs> right? Right? But but I've I've known this for a long time, but there are certain sharks, like the sand tiger shark and others, they actually cannibalize each other in the womb. Most of you did not know that. They do. I'm not not making this up. Look it up, right? If you trust Google, look it up. Uh, They devour each other in the womb. Sharks will also eat each other. Other animals will too. That's an animal thing. Yes, we have cases of cannibalism of humans, and it's, we, we're, we're, it's, it's very rare at this point. right? It's always been very rare. It's disgusting. Can I just def- describe it that way? It's animalistic. It's not normal. It's not something God wants us to do. And the, 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 the swordfish with the multiple bites, when he was brought out there, was not going to last long. And I don't know what the fishermen did with it, but i saw a picture of it and it was horrible the pain the suffering and the life being drained out of it was evident and obvious of course when we talk about paul saying watch out that you don't bite each other and then devour one another paul was speaking figuratively he wasn't saying i want to be a cut a shark and come up to carolyn and take a big bite out of her i'm not mike tyson i had to say that um i'm not going to do that right we're not we don't i'm not talking about that we're talking figuratively comparing infighting within the church or among families or among god's people to the behavior of wild animals fighting over a piece of meat and that is the greek word that's involved here when you devour it you throw a piece of meat out there they come and they just they eat that thing up and they're killing each other for it and it's gone in three seconds and and they get hurt And some even die as a result because they get bitten in the process. That's what Paul is talking about here. Paul did not say, as as I said earlier, that the Galatians were necessarily all doing that. Only that they are risking going down that downward spiral if they fell into the trap of those legalistic disputes. Fighting arises from the human heart and its selfish desires. I will refer you to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Pretty clear. No hiding, no running. We have what's going on in Ukraine, Russia, and all around the world, all kinds of violence and wars and all With that war, that's pride, it's selfishness, it's all kinds of things that are ungodly that are going on, whether it's here, there, or everywhere, it's all going on. And perhaps, let me ask you a question, let me make this statement. Perhaps you have not been involved in a war, right? You're not... You're not the general in Ukraine or something, right? It's, you're not, because you're here, right? But on a smaller scale, we all are inclined, if we're not careful, to bite and devour one another. Whether defending our opinions, or we're fighting for our personal rights, we're taking advantage of others, or we're discriminating against those who are not like us. These are sinful attitudes that crop up every day in familiar settings, and it's even in the workplace, it's at home, and yes, even in the church. It comes up. Scripture calls those of us who have been saved by grace to do the opposite. In the previous verses, in Galatians 5, 13 to 14, I read them earlier, that's what Paul, he explains, that we haven't been saved to harm one another. Rather, we've been saved to love one another. So, fight every urge to bite or devour, which only leaves a mess of spiritual carnage in its wake. That's what happens. See, here's the thing. That's what the law does. You know what it does? it kills it kills every time if it wasn't for jesus you're dead because of the law it kills it kills so what is the ethical moral ethic of i'm sorry what is the actual moral ethic of the law then and I'm quoting a pastor named Mitchell Jolly. And he says this, three things I'm quoting him. What is, and that's my question. What is the moral ethic of the law? What is it actually in this case? What is, how do we apply it? What happens here with, with all this going on and legalism and telling people you have to do X, Y, or Z or else you're not growing or you're not a Christian or you're a bad Christian or whatever it is. One, it is not to be circumcised. And of course, we don't have that practice among us. I, don't, I mean, as far as a requirement for salvation, Right, But the Jews, to the Judaizers, or to make, this is where it can apply to us, or to make the law a vehicle for a theological police state. Oh, man, watch out. Run. Two, it is to love God well with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that. And three, if we don't love God, From freely pursuing Jesus and indulging in all his good, we will just be a flesh show that beats each other up over whose flesh is fleshier. Wow and ouch. It's serious stuff. It's serious stuff. So, here's the other thing. Here's, a, here's the solution to this. It's bad. It's not good if we're, if we're involved in that and if, we're, if we get caught up or if, if we're supposed to do the opposite, right? Paul gives us the key to not being a biter in verse 16, 18, and 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires i'll read i'll read I'll read, i'll read actually the whole thing for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are you you are not to do whatever you want but if you are led here's 18 but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law the acts of the flesh are obvious "...sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But their fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law." Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What about your life? What about your life? You, your life, my life, just right here, What about your life? What about your relationships? Are they built on law or grace? Which is it? If we have a legalistic outlook, there will be a lot of condemnation and criticism. Chewing each other up until there's nothing left to devour. And by the way, this is different than correcting or directing towards truth and true holiness. There's a place for that, 100%. Different things all together. Polar opposites. But if we have a foundation and an outlook that is based on grace, we'll stand fast in liberty or that freedom of Christ, and we're going to bear each other in our weaknesses. In other words... We won't pick on others. We'll pick them up. Amen? We're going to have communion. And it almost seems weird. I hate to use that word, but it's so fitting. It is. Here's some questions, and I'm going to read some more scriptures before we partake, because it's really important. First question, are you a biter? Are you a biter? If you are, ask for forgiveness. Have you been bitten, is the second question. Have you been bitten? By the way, I think we can answer yes to both of these questions. Have you been bitten? Stay humble. Don't hold a grudge. Work it out with the Lord and with others. Here's the thing we get together every week in a formal sense, like this, and once a month we have communion. And if we address these two questions in a godly way, are you a biter or have you been bitten? Remember that when we meet as a church, we should consume the Lord's Supper, not one another. John chapter 6, talking about consuming and eating. John 6, Jesus does an incredible miracle. And the people want to see more of the multiplying of bread and, and his teachings and all, because they, they want their stomachs fed, right? They want the physical. They want, they want to satisfy the flesh, right? And then Jesus has a conversation. And he reveals himself about that he has come down from heaven. He's the man that's come down from manna, just like Moses. And God sent that manna down through Moses. He said, I, I am the bread of life. I've come down from heaven. And in verse. 51, listen to these words for the next few verses. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus isn't talking about literal cannibalism any more than Paul was talking about literal cannibalism in the flesh between brothers and sisters who bite and devour each other. He's talking about a figurative. It's a spiritual thing. Matter that's going on here that's what's going on here the jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat jesus therefore said to them truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in yourselves he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life and i will raise him on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink He who eats My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me, and I in Him. As the living Father sent Me, I live because of the Father, so He who eats Me, He also shall live because of Me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the Father's ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. And then Matthew chapter 26 not long after jesus's miracle and teaching and doing three and a half years of of, of ministering and preaching the gospel the kingdom and 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 and, and pointing and, and training his disciples to what it means to follow him and to to get them on their path right to eventually apostleship most of them when they were called but in matthew chapter 26 jesus in the last supper he's with his disciples. And it says in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And this is what he said. Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, you will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Eat, drink. Jesus offers himself. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, these are very common verses that we read when we partake in communion as the body of Christ. And Paul says that he passed on to the Lord to us and to his people what he received from the Lord. And he, he, he quoted Jesus about taking the body and, and, the, and the cup and to eat and to drink it, right? And to remember him. And in verse 26 he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Some of us, some of us, have consumed our brothers and sisters, and we have no room to consume Christ. Christ. Why? You're a spiritual cannibal. I'm sorry to tell you. You're a spiritual cannibal. Paul says you can knock it off right now. You can make it right if you're a biter. And if you've been bitten, you can make it right as well. Right now. Because Jesus says, stop devouring one another even if it's one person. Because when you're doing that, you're hurting my body. Instead, consume me. Be filled with me. And everything that I am comes out of you. Did you hear what Jesus said in John chapter 6? That the living Father and I came from Him, and because of Him, when you eat me, you have life. So if we're eating, if it's flesh on flesh, it doesn't last long. But if we're consuming Christ, and then we're sharing Christ with one another, Oh, there's life. There's life, everlasting life. There's life. There's joy, there's peace, there's satisfaction, there's abundance. And it's amazing. So I'm going to ask one more time. The communion cups are in front of you. We heard Jesus' words, we heard Paul's words. We're going to examine ourselves. And I'm going to ask that question one more time before we partake. And I don't want you to rush. We're going to spend a few minutes. If you're gluten-free... Raise your hand, Abram will serve you. He'll come and and, and serve you. The two questions, again, are this, and they're simple. Are you a biter? Are you a biter? I'm taking my time because they are being served. And the second question is, have you been bitten? I'm not making assumptions. I can't read minds. I can't see in hearts but I will say this with some confidence. Whether you're a biter or you've been bitten, I know, I know that you know what you need to do. I know. I know it. So do it. Take a minute. Next 30 seconds or so, and just think about that. Because we're going to partake. You're going to do it worthily. You're going to do it as an offender. You're going to do it as one who's been offended. And your heart is all. Okay, 30 seconds. Lord, thank you that you came, that you broke and got rid of the curse of the law. Thank you that it's for freedom that you set us free to serve you, to serve others. Guard me, guard each of us, Lord, from biting and devouring. Help us, Lord, to be fixed on You, Your Word. Help us, Lord, to make it right if we've bitten and help us to make it right if we've been bitten. Lord, we take You at Your Word that if we are in fellowship with You, You are our source of sustenance, strength, and everything that we need. We thank you for coming us physically in your body, and we thank you most of all for shedding your blood on the cross, symbolized by this cup that washes away our sins, sets us free, and binds us together as your people because of your blood. We love you, Lord. Thank you for spilling your blood for us so that we don't have to And so that we wouldn't be tempted to spill blood. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your sacrifice. Let's eat of the bread together when you're ready. I'm not rushing you. If you're ready, you can take it. And let's drink the cup. Lord, I'm asking as we go this morning that we would truly be free because you set us free. And I'm asking, Lord, for something... I guess I've never asked... Father God, I ask that your conviction would be hard and heavy on every one of us, Lord God. So that we would, as we abide in you, be so aware and so guarded against being biters and living like we're victims and hurt and we do experience those things, Lord, because you've been bitten. Help us, Lord, to be humble, to give it to you. Lord, we love you, we praise you. And we thank you that you are with us. You are our comfort. You are our strength. You're everything we need. We give you ourselves. And we rejoice in what you're doing among your people. And that you touch our hearts and our spirits so that we can become more like Christ. May we represent you well, Lord, in our world, in our homes, and everywhere we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.